Hello Blazers, welcome to episode 72 of UAB Green and Told. Original release date, Monday, May 23rd, 2022. Through this podcast, we have the chance to share stories from members of the UAB community. Want to check out past episodes? Visit alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold or look us up on Spotify and the Apple Podcast app. While there, leave a written review so more alumni can find us. I'm Greg Berry, a UAB alum and assistant director in the UAB Office of Alumni Affairs. Since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, tens of millions of people have quit their jobs as part of what many are calling the Great Resignation. In 2021 alone, 47 million Americans left their jobs, the most on record. Today's podcast guest, Deadrian Maddox, is a member of that mass exodus. But as she'll share, her role in the Great Resignation extends beyond leaving an established career. It includes embarking on a new one that could have an impact on companies experiencing losses due to this new phenomenon. People are the most important asset, and if you invest in them and allow them to get the training that they need, which I have found to be critical to my career success, then they can be excellent. Plus, Deadrian will delve into details on why companies need to focus more on their employees as the great resignation rages on. People have had time to sit alone with their thoughts, think about their goals, think about their future, think about their aspirations, and they're realizing they can get get by with less. And discover the reasons it took her nearly a decade, yes, a decade, to complete her undergraduate degree. So I, I, I don't think I even thought about the time frame because you go to school to get a job, and I had one. Let's be real. At times, our job can be stale. The monotony of the routine can feel like we can't break out of it. Deidre Maddox, or D, feels your pain. She's been there. And like many Americans, she did something about it. Quitting her job is part of the great resignation that took place during the COVID-19 pandemic. While she's now helping others figure out how to keep employees as millions quit their jobs and discover ways to survive in today's world, we first need to know more about Dee, an alum who grew up in Birmingham near Legion Field and attended Ramsey High School. I was born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama, and I've affectionately started to refer to it as the deep fried South because I love everything fried. I love bacon and I love that part of my heritage more than anything. I'm not a great cook, but I can fry anything. So when people ask me where I'm from, I say I'm from Birmingham, Alabama, and um, I started to say the deep fried South because I love food. And that's sort of my reference to my love for food uh, and my heritage. I stayed home, of course, and, and, and went to school there, and I only left uh, after I met and married the love of my life. What were you like as a student going to high school at Ramsey? That's a funny story. I've been this way my whole life. Uh, I love people. I love to chat. Uh, I have always been me, I guess. So I was a band kid. I played flute from fourth to 12th grade. Uh, I even played uh, on the day of my graduation. I went from the pit back to the stage uh, because I was a senior class officer. I was a treasurer. Uh, I hit homecoming court a couple of times. I was head cheerleader. I was student government. So I was actively involved. I love being a student. I've always loved school. Like I prided myself on perfect attendance through elementary uh, and middle. I went to uh, elementary at Fairview and then left Fairview and went to WJ Christian, which is the middle school magnet at the time. And they recruited middle school magnets to go to Ramsey. And that's where I went from WJ Christian on the east side to Ramsey on the south side and then stayed home and matriculated to UAB. As a girl, as a young woman who is growing up in Birmingham, going to Ramsey, involved in everything, what were you wanting to do? What was the plan at the time? At the time? 
the plan was to be a teacher. I graduated high school saying I'm going to be a teacher because I had had so many positive interactions with teachers who shaped all of those positive experiences that made me get involved, that made me enjoy my academic experience so much. It's what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to be one of them. I wanted to shape other people. Uh, right around graduation time, my dad, who a, a smart guy, very smart guy, he'd been a Vietnam vet and he worked for the phone company. He says, so what are you gonna do? And I said, um, I'm gonna be a teacher. And he goes, no, that's not gonna do it. You shouldn't be a teacher, you need to make a living. Computers are gonna be the wave of the future. You should be a computer science major. Now, what did he know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Computers are gonna be the wave of the future? Really, really? Is that what you're thinking? Pop, that's what you're thinking. So I did indeed uh, want to be a teacher, but because of his influence on my life, I chose computer science as my major. Was it always going to be UAB? No, I was not always going to stay in Birmingham. And I don't know if you've heard that through the grapevine. I had large aspirations to go to Alabama. I had been awarded a presidential scholarship for UAB, but all of my friends were going to Alabama. And I knew that my dad really didn't want me to go away. He'd gone to UAB and felt like it was good enough for him. It was good enough for me. Uh, my mother had only done uh, an associate's too, you know, she'd done business college, so she didn't have a dog in the fight and she never went against my dad. And so the funny thing is I decided that I had this big plan. I was going to not turn in the paperwork for the president's scholarship and I was going to secretly apply and get myself admitted to Alabama instead and then he would have to let me go. I don't know if you've met my dad, but let me tell you, he is a very strong man. My plan failed horribly. I no longer had my scholarship and he said, no, I could not go to Alabama. Wow. Yep, that part, that happened. So I stayed home uh, and went to UAB without scholarship. Uh, and I had a very different college experience. I was not used to the freedom and the excitement of, of, of a campus. And so I didn't study as hard as I should have. So I failed miserably during my first quarter at UAB which also got my father's attention in case you're wondering. So what for you changed? Because at this point in your life now, you're successful. Let's just yes. be honest. So uh -huh. what changed in college at UAB that kind of molded you into the person you are today? It was the non-traditional experience of not getting the full ride scholarship that was mine to have that I messed up and then having to recalibrate after a shaky first quarter, getting used to the freedom and the balance of having a social life and having an academic life. So at that point, uh, I was forced to start making some hard decisions uh, and I started working full time and going to school. And I even worked for the university, which I also think has such a great impact. Being a part of the university and getting to work there uh, connected me even more. So those full-time job experiences that I had at the university were absolutely instrumental in making me who I am. Because while other kids were going to school full-time so that they could go get a full-time job, I already had one. You were uber involved in high school. You're working in college, you're going to class. Were you still heavily involved? Yes. <laughs> I laugh because I also was a part of the Greek life on campus. I pledged uh, Delta Sigma Theta sorority and met some wonderful women that are still my friends today. And uh, I actually became sorority president, so I was still actively involved on college campus as well. 
How did you balance everything? Because that's a lot that anybody can handle. And here you are, a young woman, freshman, sophomore year, doing all of these things, having to kind of juggle everything at once. It was juggling, but I think what probably suffered was I didn't have a lot of the experiences that people who weren't working full time might have had because I didn't have the extra time to hang out. So you do have to make a choice between what you have to do and what you need to do. And so at some point um, in my attempt to further assert my independence, I had actually moved from my parents' house to the dorm. So I didn't live at home uh, as a commuter. I lived on campus, uh, even though I was from Birmingham. And I did that to get out of the clutches of the confines of the rules that my parents had. So that balance uh, was all mine to have because I didn't want to have a curfew. And my parents are very upstanding, respectable people and young ladies have to come in at a certain time. And when you're in college, that's not the experience you're looking to have and it's not the one that I wanted. So I moved into the dorms. Campus in the mid nineties, totally different than what it is today. Um, I've seen it. Football just starting, basketball, Gene Bartow still there. Campus has since just exploded. What was it like during your time? It was still, it wasn't as uh, robust as it is with, this, with the uh, new student center that you have and that fantastic athletic center and football, like you said, was just getting started. Uh, we hung out in the quad just like any other school. We got out of class. We had our rendezvous, got lunch, walked to class, sauntered around the campus. And so, uh, but it was great because uh, utilities came with the room and board back then. <clears throat> and I had decided in order to assert my independence that I was going to do it myself and I wasn't going to take any more money from my parents. And I, I left that part of the story out. That is why I was working full time. Okay. I had a choice to stay home and live for free and have my parents <clears throat> take care of my tuition or I could um, do what I did, uh, emancipate myself and sign up for a dorm and start working to pay for it and get a job at the university and take the one free class that the university offered. And it actually wound up taking me at that pace with the free class eight years to finish my four year degree, which helped with the balance because I didn't have a full time course load. I had a full time job. Did you say eight years? I did. What was that like? You had to see a lot of changes over eight I years did. of undergrad. <clears throat> I did. I did. The program changed, actually. Uh, the program that I was enrolled in, the curriculum was updated. Uh, they started to introduce things. Football started. Uh, just a really different experience to see more and more people coming and going. But I wasn't as impacted because the main goal to go to school was to get a job, and I had one. So I, I, I don't think I even thought about the time frame because you go to school to get a job and I had one already. Your experience kind of shifted too, especially in the classroom because you had mentioned that you wanted to be a teacher and then your dad kind of pushed you into IT, computer technology, but you didn't end up with that degree. Right. I ended up with a minor in computer science. So um, my husband also went to UAB and I met him there. He was working on his master's degree and I was working on um, my undergraduate degree still. And I met him and he asked me what my major was. And I told him and I and, and I, he said, well, what classes are you taking? And I mentioned the classes, but I didn't mention a computer class. And he's a smart guy. So he goes, um, 
you didn't say you're taking any computer classes and how long have you been in school? And I said, oh, I said, well, I actually failed the last one and it's not offered again until next fall. So I'm just taking some other stuff until I can um, take it again. And he goes, why are you bothering to take it again? He says, who fails a class in their major? Well, I'm immediately offended that he would have the nerve to point out the obvious, by the way, Greg, like I'm not happy about that. And so he goes, what's your minor? And I said, well, I'm minoring in business. I said, but I get A's in those courses. I said, those are easy. And I really cannot believe I'm saying this. He says, are you listening to yourself right now? You're getting A's in your minor and you're failing your major and you haven't thought about switching them. Rather than being appreciative, being the person that I am, I was appalled and offended and I couldn't wait to tell my girlfriend about this this guy, I'm gonna tell you what I said. I said, this jerk, I don't even know him, how dare he? First of all, I went to Ramsey High School. I'm smart, I can do this. <laughs> so after some introspection and some time alone, I did indeed change my major to my minor and I had attempted enough courses for a successful minor with that. And then I started ramping up on the classes that I was really good at, which was business. And I then subsequently graduated with a business degree with a computer science minor. And the concentration was human resources. Yes, which didn't exist prior to what, that's one of the things that changed in the business curriculum. Human resources personnel wasn't actually a recognized profession as much on the business side. It was a new part of the curriculum that was starting to develop as its own discipline in the late 80s, early 90s, being offered by universities in the same way that entrepreneurship is now. <laughs> entrepreneurship is starting to be a thing. Well, it didn't. It was always a thing, but now it's being formalized and turned into curriculum and being offered by universities across the country. What was it about human resources that drew you towards that concentration? When I was working full time for the university, an opportunity came up for me to seek uh, civil service employment. And so I was thinking, well, they have good benefits. I should check it out. And I did. And someone there was also going to UAB and she had just started her major. And she says, oh, I'm doing something new that they're offering. And I said, well, what is it? And she told me and I said, oh, that sounds good. And I followed in her footsteps. It's interesting how that kind of plays out you know you find something interesting you it sounds kind of unique and you kind of go that way and that's what you established your career on and it served me really well at the time i finished up my degree um there was a role the one human resources job uh, in the civil service department where i was working i was working for the postal service there was only one hr person and he was leaving uh, his name. I remember his name. His name was Lee Nall. He was relocating to either Montgomery or Huntsville at the time. And all of the people I had ascended to, su to supervisory role, all of the supervisors who were working shift work, which was great for me because I wanted to take classes. So shift work worked. This was a day job and it was in human resources. The center director in this postal facility gave me the opportunity at that role because I had gotten the degree. So I became the supervisor of human resources. So you're saying, how did I get into this crazy spot? I changed my major. I picked human resources. I was working and getting the degree. My manager knew it, that I was always trying to work my work schedule around my class schedule. And around the time that I was finishing, the role became available. And rather than basing it on seniority, and as an HR professional, I can tell you this, that's often the case. They pick tenure over expertise 
he chose me because I had actually been going to school for that role rather than just picking a person who wanted to move to day shift and work in a job they had no passion for or expertise. So how long did you stay in that role? I stayed in that role probably about six months before my husband received an opportunity to move to Washington, D.C. And I was able to continue in human resources, but I did it at postal headquarters in Washington, D.C. So I stayed with the human resources. You've worked in government pretty much all your life. Postal Service, you worked at NASA, the USDA. How did UAB and the, the HR program set you up for professional success, especially in the early stages of your career? By providing the foundation. HR is not one of those uh, evolving technologies. There's some core competencies that are involved uh, dealing with people, decision-making, development, training, communication, those things, uh, and, and law, interpretation of laws, covering those basics. So when you're coming up with uh, a discipline, which HR has been determined, like accounting and medicine, you have to have research, you have to have ethics, you have to have a core body of knowledge. UAB did a fantastic job of providing me with the foundation of that core body of knowledge that makes something a discipline. So having that core foundation made it very easy to get in, uh, to, to do well, and to grow in that discipline. How did you continue to grow once you were at NASA, once you were moved to Texas at the USDA? How did that growth continue for you? I continue to learn. I think if you're not learning, you're not growing. And as a professional trainer now, I say that. Training should not be the first thing you cut. If you want to invest into your people, you continue their learning, whether that learning is for growth or career opportunity or just professional development so they can be better at doing their current job. It's something that can't stop. You have to continue learning in order to continue growing. So I did that by continuing to grow in my profession by going to get a graduate degree. I went to George Washington and did an MBA, those 12 business classes, and then I did eight additional classes in master's of HR. So I did an MBA with a specialization in human resources management. And because it is a profession and there is a governing body, I decided that, you know what, I think I've heard about this certificate. I want to be known as a certified professional. So I became a certified human resources professional with the Society of Human Resource Management, in addition to getting a, a, an advanced degree. So if you're continuing to learn in the area that you're working in, it's just gonna make you love it more and it's gonna prepare you to serve others in a capacity that will make your life much easier. You touched on the entrepreneurship program here at UAB and how it's new, how it's just being established. Mm -hmm. And that HR was that for you back when you were at UAB. Well, here you are, fast forward, an entrepreneur, because you just founded your own company after working at the USDA for more than 10 years. Why? Why? What caused you to set out in that realm? I will. I hate to say this, but it's, it's a part of the great resignation of the pandemic. Um, when pandemic hit, the kids and I, uh, my family, we were coming back from spring break. We were at DFW airport the, the day the world stopped and we went home thinking we'd be sheltering for a week or two, not two years. I was not required to report to the federal building because the federal building was, it has courts and it has offices, IRS, bankruptcy, all of these things. None of that was happening. During that time of working from home, I discovered that I missed the people. 
I, I was working in a role called analyst where I do a lot of reporting and sort of the people functions were more ad hoc and they only happen when I'm in the office. So at, during pandemic where I'm working only from home and I don't have people, it caused me to have some more introspection where I just said to myself, I miss the people and I don't think I love what I do. And I had to think about what is it that I did love and what do I find myself to be really good at. I had continued to certify in human resources, even though I wasn't working in HR proper. I had taken a role in, at USDA as a senior analyst, which was more uh, analytical in nature in that I worked with data and reporting and uh, all sorts of briefing points to provide information about our programs to other people. And I wasn't necessarily working in the official capacity of human resources, but I'm the one who was always volunteering for those roles, sure. which kept me happy when they were there and available. When I was only left with just the strict analytical piece of reporting, providing reports, writing briefs, uh, doing meetings, I didn't love it as much as I loved those ad hoc functions where I was trained the trainer for Franklin Covey or I was fun squad celebrating anniversaries and birthdays completely made up by me. I love the people part of it. And I thought I was happiest when I was at NASA working space shuttle retirement and doing new employee orientation every week. And everybody on the campus is saying, hi D. And they said, how do you know everyone? I was like, I do Neo. Like I'm the first person they meet. I'm new employee orientation, right? I was getting my fix from these fresh out engineers graduating from all of the top uh, certified engineering schools that were working for NASA and I missed that. So rather than look for work for someone else, I decided to launch my own company and, and go back and, and do what I love and what I still been training to do by certifying uh, and, and start doing human resources. So DMX Consulting, DMX Consulting, HR was born. Through DMX Consulting, what mm -hmm. do you do? Who do you work with? Where are you looking to build this company? DMX actually stands for Demand Excellence. That's my platform. Uh, and I came up with that based on the fact that it's something my mother always instilled. So the thing about curfews and the rules that my parents had, they're good parents. I see that now as a parent. They were doing what they should have done. I wanted to take that, which my brother and I always joked about because my mother is very particular. And I was saying, you know what? There's really something to doing things right. So when you demand excellence, you achieve success. So you asked me, how did I become who I am and then why, how did I become the professional that I am? I was always pushing the envelope to try to be the next best something, to try to be the uh, considered expert. And that's where the, the desire for certification came from. So rather than making jokes with my brother about being your best and doing your best, which is something I say to my kids, I decided to embrace the joke and turn it into something and using the letters of my main where you demand excellence to achieve success. And all of my years of human resources have taught me that people are the most important asset. And if you invest in them and allow them to get the training that they need, which I have found to be critical to my career success, then they can be excellent, not just good. Like A, B, C, D, A is excellent, B is good. Why the book, Jim Collins, Good to Great, why settle for good when excellence is available? And so my clients are corporations, small businesses and or corporations who want to invest in their employees. I've been providing, I call it customized training solutions. Uh, lately, that's been around the same things, customer service, leadership development and change management. And that's something that I did during the space shuttle retirement for NASA when the space program was retiring. That was a major change for Marshall Space Flight Center and the rest of the space programs where those 
professionals needed to reemploy either in that same location or another location and finding out what their skill sets look like and doing an analysis of their talent skills assessment to make sure that they're in the right place so that they find new work that they find meaningful and engaging. So I had a knack for it and I had done all of these things. I spent about a year teetering with the idea of going back to school to become an educator. And then I discovered that there was more uh, student debt involved and more classroom time. It wasn't as easy as it seemed, even with the master's degree. And a friend said to me in a loving way, she was like, but you love HR and you've got credentials in that. Why don't you do something with that? So uh, I have been successful in working with the Frisco Chamber and the Plano Chamber to get business from other corporations who bring me in and they uh, I deliver training to them to their employees and I hope to do more of that. I'm working on certifying as a women's business owned entity, which will allow me to work with federal organizations where I have particular expertise of 27 years. So that's my grand plan, Greg. As a product of the great resignation, how do you work with clients and approach the topic of the great resignation and overcome what's now kind of become a trend? I'm glad you said that. I'm using myself as the answer. The answer to the great resignation is people have had time to sit alone with their thoughts, think about their goals, think about their future, think about their aspirations, and they're realizing they can get, get by with less meaning that salary and bonuses are not enough to make them come to work. It's not enough to even keep them at work. If you're investing by allowing them to grow and learn and connecting to the mission and the purpose of your company, then they're more likely to stay than to resign. People often quit bosses, not jobs. So if you have a person who's not interested in what you want to do with your future, how you can grow and develop, is are there growth or movement opportunities within your organization, but educating them on what those are. So investing in your employees is the best way to combat the great resignation. With the investment, what are we talking about? Um, obviously training, obviously different opportunities, but what else can a company offer the employees to make them stay and wanna stay? The opportunity to provide feedback. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't have the answer. Every company is different. So the thing that I push is more feedback and communication. And when you receive the feedback and the communication about what's missing, don't take it and file it away or put it in some email folder that you never crack again or never click. You actually have to perform analysis of that feedback and then determine an action plan. So I actually trademarked something that I call the deed. And a deed signifies action and a deed signifies ownership. Those are the number two definitions of the word deed. But my interpretation of the deed is the design, education, execution, and documentation of those actions that the individual has to own. So it's not just the manager's or supervisor's responsibility. The employee has some ownership of that as well. But if you ask them what it is that they're missing or what would they like more of, and then you do what you can within your capabilities to provide more of that, then you can avoid some of the great resignation. How much thought went into developing the deed? A lot. During the two years that I was working from home, I was still working for USDA at the time. Uh, and really funny story, I was so used to working 
and uh, working because I was going to school during the day and then working uh, at night or vice versa at different times in my career. I was working for USDA during the day and then at night I was turning the wheels and I have all of these Russell Crowell beautiful mind notebooks where I was scribbling ideas and thoughts about uh, what I was going to develop and what it was going to look like that I could offer to other people in a way that was easy to digest and applicable to all functions. With the great resignation, I mean, when you Google it, 276 million occurrences pop up. Do you see this going away anytime soon? Is there an end in sight for employers? It won't be an end, it will be a shift. The resignation will be a reorganization. Those employees, many like me, they're not resigning, meaning they don't go into something else. And we used to use the term separation. They may separate from one company, but reemploy with another company. So it's going to offset itself. And that really is a reorganization of the talent in that they're not lost from the workforce completely. They've just made decisions that are better for them based on the company mission, based on the purpose, based on the corporate citizenship, based on the opportunity to help shape the direction of the company. So it will not go away, but it will shift. Uh, into a reorganization of where the talent goes, whether they'll stay or find something that they find to be more meaningful. That's Adrian Maddox. She is a 1997 graduate of the Class School of Business with a bachelor's degree in administration. As part of the great resignation, Dee's company, DMX Consulting, was founded, and she currently serves as its CEO outside Dallas, Texas. Having worked on her degree a bit longer than most, Dee definitely has her own idea of what it means to be a blazer. When I think of blaze, when I think of blazing, I think of clearing the path, moving forward. I think of fire. I, I think of all of those things associated with blazing, trailblazing, moving forward, hot, fiery. Be sure to listen into previous episodes of UAB Green and Told. Check out our website at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold. Have a story to share or know someone we need to get in touch with? Email greenandtold at uab.edu. Finally, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search UAB Alumni. Thanks for listening. And until next time, go Blazers. <laughs>